Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 78. The crew is here with you, as always. Chaz, as always, uh, accompanied by Richard. How's it going, Richard? Hey, everyone. What's up? Seth, what's up? What's up, Chaz? How's it going, Richard? It's going well. I'm pretty exhausted. I just had a faculty meeting. I had a long, long weekend of pre-releases, but I'm here uh, and uh, we'll hopefully get through it uh, on the docket. We want to talk about pre-release. Unfortunately, Seth and Richard did not go, but it's okay. I think I went to enough pre-releases too uh, for the three of us combined. So uh, it was a fun weekend. I'll bet very tired. I'm very tired uh, now. Uh, you know, coming into Monday, having to go teach, and then it's like, yeah, it's it was crazy. So. And then uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, there was a banner restricted update. We have fish mail, might talk a little bit about standards. So we got a pretty hefty docket. We have a lot of fish mail too. So let's just jump right in. Um, well, I guess I'll jump in because I went to the pre-release. So uh, I went to four pre-release uh, flights. I-, I call them flights because I'm old school like that. Neutral grounds represent. <laughs> Seth, you'll get that one. You're a you're a native New Yorker. You know some neutral grounds. That, that's um, true. Yeah, and then I did a two headed giant with a uh, good friend of mine. Um, I guess the takeaway here is I, I actually really liked like I did enough events, and I kind of felt like I was repeating my like trying to go for the same uh, strategies. I just feel like there's a lot of different strategies that are viable in this sense yeah you lose a little bit of like uh like the shadows over innerstrad sealed and uh limited in terms of like there's not enough clue support because you don't get as much shadows over innerstrad so you can't really go like the full clue route so uh, there there are some stuff that doesn't carry over obviously when you don't have enough shadows over innerstrad but overall i thought it was really good i drafted red a lot because uh, I, I, t- I mentioned this on Twitter, but Thermo Alchemist is just, like, really obnoxious. And it's 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 obnoxious in, like, just one-on-one, but in Two-Headed Giant, it's extremely absurd. So I found myself drafting red a lot. Uh, I, I drafted green-black was really strong, I felt like, and sometimes drafted or splashed even the third color because it's kind of easy. And... Yeah, I just I had a really good time. It didn't even really feel like it was too swingy with the bombs. I know that was like kind of a concern some people had with like people pulling a bunch of Gisellas, which apparently is fairly common. Although I didn't draw, <laughs> I did not have such luck uh, drawing or pulling any kind of really good bombs. Just really good commons on commons. A couple of supporting card like Wharf Infiltrator. Another card that you really like, Seth, uh, performed really well. I, I liked it a lot. Just nothing can really block it. So it was it was very powerful. But yeah, I, I overall, it was just a great experience. And if anyone out there who listens to the podcast or knows me on Twitter wants a good chunk of my pre-release cards, they are all up there to be given away because, as many of you know, I did not pull very good stuff. So it's unfortunate. But it happens. 
So, Chaz, one of the things I heard was white and black were dominant, especially together. What was your yeah, experience yeah, white, with that? Well, white obviously is really strong on its own. White really just can be supported by so many other colors. But, yeah, white-black was pretty strong. I I ended up playing against it. I think I, I did win off the back of just one game just being uh, my opponent was just completely landlocked did not get past like three lands but so i dodged that one and didn't really play it again but yeah white was really strong i mean it has murder it has just really good removal it has the five mana sack a creature two creatures get minus 13 gisela obviously just really good like even the two mana two one that attacks and gets uh plus so plus two i think i forget the name of that card off the bat but yeah it's just like it could just regurgitate a bunch of stuff into play has really good removal so yeah i i totally agree with that like even green white was really good werewolves are still really good in terms of like the the transforming werewolves they don't they're not the typical werewolf trigger like the transformations for that like the the one mana two one that has a five i think it's five to transform into a four four and then it can only be blocked by one creature. Like those are just really strong. All all of them are just really strong. So, uh, second question: How many melds did you see, or meld yourself for that matter? I did not meld. Did not see very many melds actually. Come to think of it, I think the most common one obviously was the chittering rats, and the other one I forget the other one. What's it called? Uh, uh, the common meld pair? I don't. Yeah, I actually I, don't I remember the other. I know one of them, the rats, but and the other is like a uh, patrol or something like that. I I think I saw in one two-headed giant game a writhing township, and they did win. So <laughs> there is that. But yeah, meld I did not see too often. So thankfully uh, for myself, who missed the pre-release, I got to live vicariously through our Twitter Twitter followers. Yeah, and we got a bunch of tweets about the half foil Brazella. Yes, and <laughs> at Hammer Baby was the the first one to successfully tilt me by assembling the half Brazella. <laughs> but we had a bunch. We had four or five tweets. Yeah. Uh, even a hand weird township was thrown in there for good measure. Uh, so people were definitely melding their cards and. They were half foil. <laughs> yeah, they were. I, I mean, kudos to them. I Like I was telling Richard before we started recording the podcast, I couldn't fully appreciate them. I retweeted them as I saw them. Uh, thank you so much for sending those in. Shows us you're listening. It shows us that you're just as hyped to get a half foil <laughs> Priscilla or any other meld card. And tilting Richard is also always fun. So <laughs> I'm very happy about that. Uh, but yeah, that was it. Was really sweet. Yeah, unfortunately, like I couldn't. I don't have many experiences playing against meld or melding myself. But for everyone out there that got to, I mean, it just seemed really powerful. Uh, so obviously, that was fun. But yeah, thermal alchemist is just really, really good. <laughs> I think that's like the bottom line of my pre-release this weekend is that. Draft and or play Thermo Alchemist because it's, like, pretty good. Interesting. Yeah, I really liked it. I, I mean, I didn't even real, like, it didn't, and I didn't plan to go those colors. I ended up playing blue even. Like, it's just every every color combination definitely has things that they can do. And it's really fun. 
So, yeah, uh, are you going to pre-release on uh, Moto, either of you? Uh, I'm sure I'll do some pre-release events on Moto, but gotcha. unfortunately have to wait like uh, a week and a half still or something. Moto's right, so right. far behind. I'll right. sit in Twitch chat and uh, backseat drive Seth. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll confuse him and make him draft five-color slivers somehow in Aldrich <laughs> 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 mood. Uh, the good thing, the, uh, another really good takeaway here, and as always when you go to these type of events, is just being social. Uh, you know, tons of people playing Pokemon Go, so uh, that was also fun. Catching Gastly's and stuff like that, or whatever, at like the midnight release as people were <laughs> building uh, sealed pods or sealed pools, looking at sealed pools. Another thing is like, it's great when you pull a bunch of jank. And I would just usually give my jank any, uh, away anyway to newer players or returning players who don't really have a collection who I've sold in the past. But it's a really good way to just like hand out. Like I handed out a bunch of stuff and then obviously on Twitter is the rest of it that everyone can just have at that point. I mean it's just really good when – and it feels good when you can interact with people at a pre-release and I know we talk about this a lot. Like we talked about this basically every pre-release. It's just it, it for for most people like a pre-release is a good way to get back into the game or to get into the game for having never played the game before. So it's always awesome to just here have a few rares. I don't need these. Go ahead, even if it's like a dollar or two. Like I was telling uh, Seth before the podcast, like. Just gave away one of the promos, the Nissa's Reclamation or something like that. I forget that card now. It's like your favorite, your favorite card from the set. A splendid Reclamation. Splendid Reclamation, yeah. And you could just give it to people. Uh, you want it in Titania? Here you go. Like, what's a couple of dollars? At the end of the day, it's just fun, and you get to help people out. So that's it's a really good takeaway too. And I, I had a lot of fun. Had people come over, and actually compliment me on this or and us in general on the stuff we do for mtg goldfish so it was actually pretty fun it was well, pretty fun to be fair jazz it's not that hard to give your cards away when you open crap <laughs> right yeah that that, that, that is true <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it's a thought that counts right i i i know i'm just i'm just picking on you it is a well, very nice thing to do when you open up a bunch of uh, assembled alphas <laughs> <laughs> we haven't opened our goldfish box yet. You can't, you can't make fun of Chaz yet. Otherwise, our box will be way, way worse. I'm, I'm gonna yeah. get all his good cards that he didn't open. Oh, okay. This is how it works. The law, yeah, the law was, of conservation. It was, it was kind of hard to stomach when we were doing the two-headed giant. The two gentlemen across from us, their seal pools was a one of them was a foil promo Gisela. A regular Gisela in the other one, a Grim Flayer in each of them, <laughs> a Arlen Cord, and a bunch of other goodies, and they actually ended up going three one. So I'm like, I guess that's karma. You open up a bunch of good stuff and you don't you don't four zero. So that was a kind of a revenge right there, because we we opened really two really good seal pools on the uh, two headed giant, which was fun. I don't think I think statistically you can't get much worse than how I did in terms of pulling <laughs> stuff. I I don't think you can. So Seth, uh, hopefully you could bring it back with a good MTG Goldfish box. Have you ever in your whole life, Chaz, opened well at a pre-release? I feel like every I, pre-release I, you say the same thing. 
I no, I really <laughs> haven't. Like, but this one felt like extremely bad because even I, worse. I, yeah. Well, yeah, it's because I went all weekend, and then like I figured it was like kind of like feel bads because then I went with a friend who did a two at a giant, and we both opened bad stuff. So it's like ah man. Re- Remind me to never go to pre-release with you, Jazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably... I, I don't think anyone statistically could have a better pre-release than I did. Or just in general, to be honest. So, yeah, I think that sums that up. Uh, did you guys want to talk about anything? I, I know Banner Restricted updates happened. Uh, was there just questions or concerns that either of you had in terms of that that you wanted to address? Well, I wanted to ask Richard, being the the legacy expert, what did you think about, or were you expecting there to be any legacy changes? I know I've been hearing Top has been kind of being tossed around as a target. Some people say counterbalance and leave Top or unban something random. Were you surprised at all with the no changes in legacy? No, I, I don't even know where this Top movement came from. Like, people just don't like blue i don't don't, like i don't know it's it's legacy and there are some op cards i don't think top is that egregious i know a lot of people think you can just throw it into any deck but the the reality is a lot of the decks don't play top so it's just only miracles and if people think miracles uh needs to get taken down a notch and we have eldrazi for that right that is what (laughs) eldrazi came into the format so i i don't know that it's that egregious, and I haven't been following very closely, but I just assume it's just salty players, you know. They got the game under their control, and then they get counterbalance locked, and then they, they get a terminus flipped, and then it's all over, and then they get really salty. So I assume it's something like that. But from my experience, I find people that play top to be very entertaining to watch. I know that's right. not shared in the community. I know that. No. <laughs> people are like, oh, no, it's the Miracles mirrors. Like, oh, no, shoot me now, right? But... I, I think it's very skill-intensive, and I think it's very interesting, but I don't think it's warping the metagame, so I wasn't surprised, but I know a lot of people are disappointed in that, and uh, I, I don't know, that's that's what Legacy is. you know, Card selection and yeah. con- getting consistency out of your deck is a very big deal in Legacy, and that's one of the reasons why Blue is one of the best colors, and Top kind of lets the other decks do that if they want, but a lot of decks don't even bother with it because it's so slow and kind of... Uh, awkward to to use your mana like that every turn yeah to add on and i kind of know where you're coming from with this seth because it's it is a definitely like a growing dialogue about legacy in general and and in top in general i wasn't surprised to see any like nothing change i'm kind of i kind of figured it would just be status quo but let me ask you richard i think the big reason people feel top is egregious is the fact that Everyone comes. This this topic comes up a lot about slow play, and it's just like really awful for coverage in general of legacy when it when it is covered. Just about the slow play and just how long it takes for certain players to to top and, and make their decision, and how many times people top throughout the game. It just kind of like slows the pace of the game down to a crawl. I now obviously I don't like it either, but I don't feel. And I, and I do have my my issues with it, but I don't feel that it's a legitimate reason to ban a card just because some players, you know, are borderline slow playing with the card. I, I don't know. I, I figured I asked you that because I, I, I don't feel it's 
a legitimate reason at the end of the day to ban a card outright because some people borderline slow play or it slows the game of the 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 pace of the game down well there's good news with that we have one on-camera legacy tournament year, so that that's a (laughs) self-correcting problem but i mean like fetch land slow the game down i don't hear a cry for uh people getting fetch lands banned Uh, there will be slow players and trust me if you remove top control players will find ways to drag the the rounds (laughs) to time every round all the time so you know you you see people resolving five minute brainstorms when they're not even that complicated. So people will play slow if they want to play slow. I, I don't know that that would fix it. And as a Miracles pilot, you know that you need to play fast anyway. As soon as you get a draw, it's the same as a loss. So it's in their best interest to play as fast as possible anyway. So I don't think that that's a big issue. But you know, if we had more coverage of Legacy, I could see that being an issue because they want the game to be fast and exciting. But we barely get any coverage anyway. And on Moto, there's a clock. So I don't think that's a too big of a deal. Right. Now, uh, another thing that I kind of brought up, and we talked about this. We've talked about ban and restricted announcements in the past. but and, and I look at this, and again, I kind of just figured it would be status quo. But do you feel that now, I, I feel this way. Do you guys agree in, in the sense of there's not a lot of legacy coverage in general, like Richard just uh, mentioned? There's no real pro tour for modern. I mean, is there really a fire under Wizards to even do anything? I mean, at at any kind of normal pace? Like, do you feel that the frequency of no changes is going to be elongated just for the simple fact that there's not really any huge incentive to shake things up like, like when we did when there was a pro tour or when there was more legacy coverage? I I think it's the other way and the frequency of changes over the past I don't know two or three or four years maybe even since modern came around is just way more than normal like if you look at legacy traditionally it's they take a pretty hands-off approach to it they figure with that big of a card pool problems for the most part are self-correcting so it takes a deck to really dominate and do something pretty broken for Wizards to ban cards in it. Uh, It is true that they banned Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise, but that's more of a just an obvious mistake. It's a little different than a card like Top that has been around in the format for a very long time and changing it. I do think it's true, though, that we might see uh, less action in Modern. Uh, I think it'll still happen. It's still a supported format, still has GPs, is being more supported by SCG, so I don't think we're not going to see changes. But I think it does take away that one time a year where we knew they're going to do something to Modern because they always did before the Pro Tour. So we don't have that anymore. So it might be that what changes they do make are more spread out at random times over the course of the year. And hopefully that'll eventually be some more cards coming off the ban list, maybe. And they might be more willing to experiment with cards coming off the ban list since there isn't a pro tour that they have to worry about being ruined by unbanning a Jace or a Stoneforge or something in front of the biggest audience of the year watching the pro tour. Yeah, all good points. Yeah, all good points. I think Seth is right. This is what we kind of want. Uh, people want to buy into these formats for the deck and play them for years, but that got kind of hard when 
you know, every six months, every year, there was a shakeup and something was banned. You know, birthing pod players are still lamenting to this day. So the fact that they're slowing down, I think, is good for the the older formats. And if you want to play a fast-paced format that changes frequently, you have the latest set uh, in standard and in limited. But for the people that want to buy decks and keep them for five years, then not having many changes is a good thing, and they can count on their deck being around. Uh, you didn't want to be that miracles person that bought into their deck and then just had top <laughs> ban the next day. You'd be like, why? Right. What is the point of this? Uh, so, you know, I, I think it's... I don't know if it's good for the game. We'll, we'll find out, right? But it's it's more in the spirit of these formats. And if it turns out that you actually do want fresh formats that are older, then they would probably bring back extended or, or whatever uh, in a more you know formal way as opposed to just arbitrarily banning things to, to shake up the format. Right, and and I just to piggyback on what you were saying, I do think it's good for the game in terms of stability, and I, you kind of alluded to that a little bit. And you're absolutely right; like people want to have some stability when it comes to these older formats, where they purchase into these decks, they don't want to constantly worry about like this looming cloud of bands. And I, I think really, like a lot of the feel bad scenarios were just attributed to that modern was just a very new format i mean it is still new in that sense and that there just had to be right off the bat just a lot of sculpting of the format a lot of bands a couple unbands and and that just is going to happen when a format is so new and they need to kind of guide it in a specific direction where where that direction <laughs> if people agree with that direction that's one thing but they had to kind of forge a direction for it regardless and I think we uh, people a lot of a lot of people forget and harken back to even years before that, and I remember a, a lot of legacy players were kind of getting upset because there was a lot of changes to legacy because that was still a, a format that w- had the spotlight on it back you know way back when I think this is going back like eight almost nine ten years now, and legacy was still on the forefront and there was changes to legacy and people don't realize that it, there was a lot of kind of sequential changes to that format too. So, and, and definitely in terms of modern, when you have a new format, you're going to have to have changes like that. And people, I can understand why people were upset, but it's an unfortunate side effect of trying to guide a new format to the right direction. So what do you guys think of Popper? I know the only one that has actually played... <laughs> Peregrine Drake here is has is Seth. So a lot of people are expecting that card to be banned or something to happen. So what do you think of that, Seth? I'm not surprised that it didn't get banned this time around. I that was my thinking as it probably wouldn't, but I th- and that's just because it's so soon after I entered the format. Eternal Masters was what six weeks ago or something, right. um, two two yep. months, and that's just really quick. And it's not putting up the kind of numbers that would necessitate an emergency banning. It's right now maybe 25% of the format if you look at all the different builds that are playing Peregrine Drake. But So I'm not surprised that they didn't do it yet, but I definitely expect, after playing the deck, that this fall or this winter, sometime in the not-too-distant future, it probably will get banned, because I think it is the best deck in Popper, and I don't think Popper really has the tools to fight against a combo like that. 
So I would expect that they give it another few months, make sure nothing crazy changes and no one finds some magic solution, which I don't think exists with only commons. And then they'll end up banning it Uh, because they already banned cloud of fairies, which was essentially the same exact combo piece in the same exact deck doing the same thing. And they didn't want that combo in the format. So I'm pretty sure that that's what's going to happen. And there was actually some information that came out uh, that they had already made Eternal Masters before they decided to ban Cloud of Fairies. So it's likely they wouldn't have put Peregrine uh, Drake at common if they had known they were going to ban Cloud of Fairies and ban that combo when they were making Eternal Masters. So That makes sense. Grab your uh, Sunscape familiars and enjoy them while it lasts, right? (laughs) Didn't yeah. that card spike for like like three thousand percent or something like that on MTGO? It did, and the funny thing is, the <clears throat> current builds of the deck don't even play it. Wow, it's not even a part of those decks. You don't even need it because you can just uh, because Peregrine Drake untaps so many lands, you can just flicker that with the mnemonic wall and combo out without having to play somewhat bad cards like the various fam- uh, familiars to make it work. Makes sense. Speaking of updated ban lists, I know you both have now played EDH for quite some time. I have a few people that I kind of are in my circle that I get EDH updates from. I'm starting to kind of get into that as well. Do you, what, what did you think of the no changes in the EDH uh, format? Uh, I don't know that it matters. <laughs> uh, from, from my experience, it, it matters to a local level it's basically what you and your friends decide so i i think i know when we play we have a lot of house rules either they're written or unwritten but we have an idea of what should happen uh the only way it affects us is if moto bans something we just actually cannot play it because we can't uh, go around the moto rules but they're just guidelines and i don't know that it matters that much i mean it's going to matter more in the competitive circles where uh, people are playing cutthroat decks, and it'll balance that out. But for the casual players, I, I don't know that it matters at all. And you just never know. The The ban list for Commander is pretty erratic, so you uh, you kind of just don't know. I, I've told this story before, I think, but almost every single Commander deck that I build for Commander Clash, I end up with it being illegal in magic online for some reason. And almost every time it's because I have a banned card in there that I didn't realize was banned. Cause it doesn't feel like it should be banned. Like cards that seem like they obviously should be banned aren't banned. And then cards that don't really seem all that bad end up being banned. So I have to look through my whole list and like check against the ban list to find out what banned card I put in my list. So it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense uh, on a lot of levels. What is banned and what isn't banned in commander, at least to me. Yeah, I start to I start to wonder though, and, and you make you both make great points, and I do think it comes down to just individuals and their playgroups and how they interpret the rules and what their house rules are. I, I do I do think that these updates are good, and I'm glad that there's obviously continued support, and we don't get to talk about this a lot, but. I'm glad that they are discussing things and even a no changes in EDH has a lengthy discussion as per, you know, reading Sheldon's uh, little snippet there for the update. I just, I, I want, I, I want to throw it back to you guys. It, you're, you're right in the sense. It's like, I feel like sometimes when I'm, when I'm looking at lists 
and there's a there's a color like green in there a lot. I feel like there's a lot of overlap, and it's like almost to the point where it's like, is this card like too good where you can just throw it into any any deck with green in it or any deck with white or what have you? Is that just like, do those cards get looked at? Do you feel like they should be get, should be looked at? I'm not I'm not advocating they should or or pressing the matter to the the EDH committee or Sheldon or whatever, but I don't know. It just feels like a lot like Titania, for for example. It just feels like you can just insert Titania into almost any deck with green in it, regardless of what your commander is. Should there be cards like that? Should there be less cards like that? I know you guys do Commander Clash like every week. Is, does it sort of feel like monotonous after a while when you're like, oh, like I'm building something with green. Might as well just throw Titania in there. For no other reason than it's just good. Well, you don't even have to go green, right? If you want to talk about stuff that could be banned, then you have Sol Ring and Mana Crypt. Right. right? Okay. If, if money was no issue, those would be in every single deck. And the player that gets it in opening hand, uh, basically like double time walks, right? So they're, <laughs> they are super far ahead. So, you know, if you want to talk power level, like you're kind of forced to put those cards in your deck. And there are other cards like that too, like Solemn, Similicrum. Uh, even something like Hedron Archive goes in like almost every deck because you can ramp <laughs> right. twice and draw two cards. So there are a lot of cards that just slot in a lot of decks, and I don't know that uh, you know you you should ban them to increase diversity. I, I don't know that you should ban them to keep the power level down. I it's just really up to the play group. Like it, it gives you those explosive starts. It's kind of like should Dark Ritual be in a format, right? Should you know if there's no Storm deck, should you still have Dark Ritual? Is playing against turn one Dark Ritual Liliana a fun thing? I don't know. Some people think it's very fun. Some people think it's very <laughs> bad. So right? <laughs> you could ban cards like Armageddon, Stasis. You know, those feel bad cards that really don't progress the game. <laughs> but they're legitimate strategies as well, right? So that's why I think it comes down to individual playgroups as to what kind of style you guys want. Uh, but like Seth said, a lot of the cards are very arbitrary and... Once in a while, I'll see a card that isn't banned in the commander list that is just absurdly broken, like Survival of the Fittest or something, and I just don't understand like, why this is in the format and why you can play these cards. So it's it's really just whatever your local playgroups are, and the people that run the EDH committee obviously have a playgroup, and they have their ideas of what commander are like, or should be like, uh, but I think that differs very much from group to group, so having a set in stone play uh ban list across everyone's play group seems seems hard and only the most absurdly broken things like primeval titan or something should be banned and the the one thing i would add is you got to remember too chaz or think that being commander you're playing a hundred card singleton deck so a card like titania or eternal witness is a good example for me i don't think i've ever built a green deck that did not have eternal witness it's just like such a staple that if you're playing green you're always gonna get value out of eternal witness Uh, but it's not like constructed where you're playing four of each good card and you only have 60 cards so even if you put eternal witness or titania in every one of your green decks every third or fourth game you'll actually see a copy when if you're running a playset in a constructed deck odds are you're going to see that card every single game so it doesn't get as monotonous just because of how the format set up being so big and being a singleton format even though you have it in every deck you're not going to see it maybe more than one out of every three or four games 
Yeah, I get I get where you're coming from. I guess the reason I brought it up is because now that I'm kind of getting into it more, it is really fun. I, I'm I'm not saying I don't have fun. It's really cool, <laughs> and like some of these, I can advocate for. Like, just to use an example, I, I'll use a couple more. Like, I'll look at a, a bunch of like blue decks with blue in them, and it's like pretty obvious. A lot of people throw in a lot of the good blue stuff, blue good stuff, like, into a lot of these different blue lists, like, Jace, Mind Sculpt- Jace the Mind Sculptor, Brainstorm, Ponder, Preordain, all that nice good stuff, and I, I get it, like, I-, I do, I understand that, like, if I was playing blue, I would want to be playing all those cards, too, especially Jace the Mind Sculptor, because what else are you going to use Jace the Mind Sculptor for? It's banned in Modern, it's, b- b- I mean, basically only played in Legacy, you know, so I understand people want to use their JSON Mind Sculptors. I- I'm just kind of bringing that up because sometimes it does feel like, I guess not really monotonous, but it's almost like, ah, oh, I don't, I don't want to like build blue because I like have to get all those cards. But at the same time, it's almost like you only need one of them. And I, I guess the really good thing, the other side of the coin is you only need one of them. And once you have them, you could basically build any blue deck you want because you can transfer so many cards over to each different build. And I, I guess that's really awesome because, like I said, once you have them, you can it, it opens up to so many other decks that you can build. And I think, too, my perception is probably impacted by the fact that almost, basically all the commander I play is on Commander Clash, and we have pretty small budgets normally and are sure. pretty casual. So... We don't necessarily have that arms race where our playgroup, it's not like, oh, you got to have that Jace or that Force of Will or that Titania. So I think part of it is just the playgroup that I play in is so casual that we don't really have that problem in the same way that a, a bigger budget, maybe more competitive playgroup might have that as a, a bigger concern. True, yeah. Like I said, and and you too alluded to that, it, it does really come down to image of individual playgroups. You're absolutely right. When On a lower budget, you wouldn't have to worry about that. I just kind of want to bring it up because there is kind of like two sides of the coin. As someone who's getting into Commander, it's like you look at like such a long list of really uh, expensive and just but, but high potent cards and it sucks to want, like need to get all of those all at once or if you don't have them. But once you do have them, what is nice is that I've seen, you know, a lot of a lot of cards do carry over from commander to commander. So that I guess that is pretty cool. It's one of the really good perks of the format, I guess. Any uh, any other things that we wanted to address? I think we do have a good amount of fish mail if we wanted to start answering those. Yep, let's move on to fish mail. So first one is from Josh E. I recently pulled a non-foil mana crypt from Eternal Masters Booster Box, and I'm, I'm, tra- and I'm having trouble deciding what to do with it. I've, ever, I've never owned this card before. I know I want to sell it, but I'm not sure if I should sell it now or wait. So, unplayed, foil, non-foil, so regular Mana Cribs. Sell now or wait? I think we, we get this... We've, we've gotten this question a few times, just uh, different cards in the last few weeks since Eternal Masters has come out, right, Seth? I, I think like the general consensus is... If you need the cash, sell it, but there's really nothing wrong with waiting because of the frequency of how often Eternal Master sets comes out. So it's really dependent on if you need the cash now or, you know, waiting is also fine too in, in, in between the interim of re- 
Eternal Masters releases. Yeah, that's pretty much my take on it. And if you do decide to wait, I would think you're going to have to wait at least a year and maybe more than that even. So if you think you're going to need the money in the next six months or so, uh, the chances of getting a big spike but in that time frame are pretty small, so you're probably fine just cashing it out. But if you think you want might sit on it for a year or two years, then you're probably fine to hold it because you might see some appreciation if you're willing to hold it for that long. Yep. Okay, okay. from at Devilbug, I'm new to Magic and love budget EDH. I only play paper. What's the best way to start acquiring fringe cards? Uh, bulk, buy list, question mark. <laughs> so I guess it's actually pretty funny because we were just talking about this, especially for budget. Yeah, I, th- I think the best way is I know a lot of the times I, I acquire these little like knickknack EDH cards just by buy listing leftover draft jank or in this case my entire pre-release pool. But it, it's stuff like that where you can just buy list to your local store or to an online buy list. Uh, I would take the credit in this sense uh, just because that kind of gives you a little extra boost. And yeah, just use it on those little knickknack EDH cards that are fairly inexpensive, but you might need a lot of them at one time. And I think that's really a good way to kind of grind out some EDH budget cards in in that sense. Yeah. And I'm also a fan of keeping up on like your local Craigslist or eBay. Sometimes you can find uh, commander focused collections that someone are getting rid of, which will have probably a bunch of commons and uncommons along with them that are worth picking up in a good deal. Also, if you're starting from scratch, some of the Commander pre-con decks, especially if you can get them cheap off of uh, various websites, Amazon, places like that, eBay, for below MSRP, they do have a lot of playable cards, especially if you're building on a budget. So that's something else to consider if you can pick them up at a cheap enough price. Yeah, absolutely. I think the Commander product is actually a really great place to start like Seth said in addition to uh using the other techniques that we talked about i know a lot of that i mean the first round of commander is probably not where you should be but the other ones are definitely still accessible and and do have a lot of playables like i know even the last round with like the planeswalkers for plane for commanders right like teferi fair release all of those have really good cards in them too I think I agree with both of you guys. Uh, pre-con is usually the best place. Uh, the decks are quite playable by themselves. The power level is quite high. And then you can buy singles to upgrade the decks uh, as you see. I wouldn't buy those bulk packs. You know, you, you, know, you see like 5,000 cards for X dollars. Uh, mainly because usually in Commander, uh, since the card pool is so large, you usually have specific cards in mind. You don't usually just build good stuff decks, uh, even if, you know, the low chance that there's good stuff in that bulk. Usually you have a theme like tribal or whatever, so the odds that you're able to find the cards you want in that giant pile will be low. So I would just uh, start with the pre-con as a base and then just add singles, buy individual cards, or trade for the cards or whatever, but get singles instead of you know buying booster boxes or going for bulk or things like that. And we kind of talked about it earlier, but there are some cards that are just staples, and those are great things to pick up. Uh, Like Richard mentioned, Silent Simulacrum. That's a card, no matter what commander deck you're going to play, you're going to slot into it. So if you are looking to spend a few dollars to buy 
singles. Focus on cards like that that can that you're going to play, even if your ch- tastes change and you want to switch decks, you're still going to be able to put that card to use. When if you buy a more deck-specific card, you might all of a sudden find it sitting in your binder and not playing with it after you spent money on it. So focus on the staples that go across decks first, and then pick up the more deck-specific stuff. Yeah, one last final thought. I, I We've mentioned this on the podcast before. Another really great resource, especially if you're starting from scratch, is EDHREC, EDH Rec. Com. And it can just kind of give you some inspiration if you're choosing a general, just kind of what most people play with that specific type of general. Obviously, you don't have to copy it card for card, but it's really good inspiration to kind of see, like Richard and Seth said just a moment ago, about wanting specific cards for certain generals, or at the same time, you can pick up those widely played cards among most generals like Eternal Witness, Solm Simulacrum, cards like those. Okay, next question from at Kifka. With the popularity of cube drafts, what do you think of Watsi making Arsenal-type cube set? Maybe gold-bordered? Well, I am cons- like, I'm surprised we haven't seen a specific like cube set like that that they would sell. I don't know what the power level of that would be or what they would include. But I think like those kind of sets like Conspiracy are more tailored to that, especially like or even like Eternal Masters. I thought those were kind of where people would get stuff for cube. But I think in terms of this question, yeah, I think it's kind of surprising that we haven't seen a specific cube product yet. I think one of the problems is uh, is one of the appeals of cube is you're playing all these really powerful, expensive cards. And to replicate that in the paper world, and it would, on Magic Online, they can get around this because it's Phantom and you don't keep the Black Lotuses and the Moxin that you draft. Uh, But in the paper world, that is a big sticking point that you'd either have to have an extremely expensive product if they were going to just design and sell a cube or as you mentioned, do a gold border, like collector's edition type thing. But Wizards hasn't really shown any signs in recent years that they're interested in printing not tournament legal cards. Like it's been a long time since they've done anything like that. And I'm not even sure they want to print not tournament legal gold, gold bordered versions of those expensive staples. Yeah, I think we're, we're past the era of basically official proxies, which are the gold border cards. I, I don't think Wizards would ever go down that route again. That kind of acknowledges the second mark, the secondary market and that these cards have value and here's a cheaper version for you guys to play with. And that, that devalues the actual card itself, right? Because a lot of the time people play casual, commander, they're going to start slotting these gold border cards into their decks and not buy you know, the, the real ones. So I think we're way past that. And I think our cube product is Eternal Masters. Like, that. that is the cube product, Modern Masters. That is high-powered cards from a mishmash of sets thrown together, designed to be drafted, right? So that, that exactly is it. It's just, you're not going to have a set with Black Lotus and Moxon for you to open up, right? This, <laughs> right? this is the power level we're getting. And they've deemed that $12 or $10 a pack or whatever is the correct MSRP. Because who's going to pay $50 a pack to, to draft like Super Cube, right? <laughs> so I, I think you, you kind of do see it. I think Eternal Masters is their nod to a cube set. Yeah, I don't know how often either of you cube. I think I've cubed like one time. I think another hurdle that would be uh, like problematic for them to make a cube 
and sell it as a, as a product isn't most of the allure the fact that like it's more of an individual thing like people make these cubes and it's very widely different amongst players obviously you have some of the like the power cubes with moxen and black lotus and stuff like that but i thought really one of the allure was that each individual person or group or something like that can come up with a cube and that's kind of like the individuality of it is like there's no set thing and I guess wizards can put together a cube that doesn't have to be like a bunch of like $500 cards or $200 cards and sell that. But would really people play that? I don't know. I think that's true that uh, your creativity and personalizing your cube is a big part of it. But I think that's also, at least for a lot of people, true of commander decks. And Wizards doesn't have a problem selling the commander pre-cons. So maybe if they did do it, which I don't think it's going to happen, but maybe they could do it as like a starter cube type thing. Like, oh, you your first cube, you want to get into it, and then you (laughs) upgrade from there, maybe. So I I don't know. Yeah, I think that's like the direction they would have to take. Because, I mean, you brought up the, the... the EDH pre-cons, that's more of like kind of like a a kind of supporting cast. Like here's a bunch of stuff that you're already using anyway, and we just wanted to throw some extra cool generals out there. So I guess they're not really dictating, more of like here's extra stuff you could use. Whereas like Cube, it's like this is our Cube. It might not even be good, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Right. That, that, that's, that's a good point, and I agree with you. I think that that is... A fair point. Okay, moving on to at Duncan Smith MT. What are the chances that we see Imperial Recruiter in the next Eternal Masters? What is the chances? <laughs> Very high. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, mean, I would say high too. How many three hundred or whatever it is now dollar cards are there left now that they reprinted a lot of really expensive stuff? It seems like a very easy Chase Mythic in a future set. Yeah, it seems like if there was going to be an Eternal Masters 2 or whatever they want to call it, it would seem like cards like Poor Imperial Recruiter have to be up on the chopping block. Yeah, and it's actually used in a lot of decks too. It's not just a single deck. And it's a pretty versatile card, so they can use it in Limited as well. So I don't see any reason why they would not print it in Eternal Masters. Uh, Next question from Edelwyn. What makes a card a one of or two of in constructed? Hmm. I'll use a card that Seth and I both really like, uh, Richard really likes as well, from Eldritch Moon. A card like Ishkana, the Graph Widow. A card where you don't always want four of, and you don't want it in your opening hand, but you want to draw it at some point in the game. It's kind of a higher converted mana cost, so you don't want those copies to kind of clog up your hand or clog up opening hands. So it's cards like that. And in addition to being legendary where you wouldn't want that, that uh, downside either. So it's specifically niche cards like that, where they're pretty good, but you don't want like a ton of them because they're either higher mana costs and you don't want to be drawing them like in opening hands and ruining your opening hand. That's a good answer. I think. So the best way I've heard explained I forgot who said this, but basically a four of is a card that you always want and you're happy no matter the number of cards you get. So if you drew all four in your opening hand, you'd be thrilled. So that'd be like Brainstorm, Ponder, whatever. And three is a card you really, really want. Uh, 
and you're you're okay with more than one, but not really. So uh, by the time you get to two, it's a card you want, but you definitely don't want more than one. So by the time you get to two, you're talking about legendary creatures. You're talking about cards that are finishers. For example, Graph, you know, the Ishkana. You don't want, you know, four of these in your opening hand, but you like to get one in the course of the game, right? And usually by the time you get to one, I don't know why you'd only put one card. It's usually uh, if you have tutors for it. Uh, if, you, if you only have one card, it's very hard to draw. So usually you have tutors, or it's a very situational card, it's a sideboard card, or things like that. So usually that's the spectrum I use, and it, it usually works out pretty well. And when you look at decks, most decks follow that that same line of thought. Another good reason for a one-of is it's actually the fifth copy of something else that you have, and you wanted more than four. So if you're playing four Thought Seizes already, but you really want one more one-mana discard spell, you can play a copy of Inquisition of Kozlek, which is not exactly the same, but close enough. So that's another reason you occasionally see one-ofs in deck lists, is it's actually the fifth copy of another card that there's already a playset of. Yeah, really well said. And in the case, like like Richard said, just to piggyback on that, uh, both really well said. A, a card like a one of like Bruna, something like that, where it's part of some like it's part of a meld in this case, and it's all really just self encompassed. So Bruna just kind of takes the care of that all on its own, and you don't really need to even play more than one because it is seven mana, and you just kind of want one to kind of finish something off. But it's a really self contained card. Also from uh, Edowin, when's the best time to unload my unplayable Shadows of Innistrad foil mythics on Magic Online? Um, I would probably just sell them whenever you want to. There's occasionally a bump around when Redemption is ending, but for Shadows of Innistrad, you're looking at like two years from now, and they're already fairly high priced at the moment for Redemption, so... I think you're fine selling them whenever you need the event tickets. Okay, from at RLHH12, uh, Eldritch Moon question. Pulled an Emrakul promo. What's your strategy for Mythic promos? Hold or sell before release? Well, first, congrats. Secondly, I think I'm okay with unloading promos during the pre-release hype and just the hype in general of just unloading it and not having to worry about it. Yeah, I from I haven't researched them too much, but they seem to pretty well mimic the pack foil in a lot of instances. So I think you're probably fine getting rid of those as well. Interestingly, I've also heard a couple of people that are promo collectors talking about how they might drop out of promo collecting as a result of all these pre-release promos, making it too expensive and too hard. So maybe there'll be a drop in demand for these cards if this huge abundance of promos pushes promo collectors out of the market. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, alternatively, it's just, it's obviously playing the gambling game. Like, if something like Emrakul ends up being really good in standard, per se, then there might be a bump in in foils. But if it's a foil that you personally just want to hold on to, then obviously you can just keep it. So there, there could be some long-term foils as well, like maybe Emrakul as one of the Eldrazi Titans that could have long-term implications, but I think it's mostly okay, nine times out of ten, to sell off pre-release foils. 
All right, we have a question from our friend, the Chad USMC. Can you offer an individual under market value for their cards if you are paying cash? If so, what is the discount? Yeah, absolutely, especially with the changes to TCG. Yeah, now that there's really no TCG low, a lot of the times, especially on over like social media, Facebook, Twitter, where people are selling cards, it's kind of customary that they'll just take 10% off the low of TCG low now that that doesn't really exist anymore. I think it would be customary for people to take some percentage off of the market value, and and I think that's totally okay to offer. Uh, yeah, I would definitely agree. And you have to consider that if that person was going to sell the card on eBay or TCG Player, they're taking 12 to 15% hit in fees, so you're saving them that amount of money. And that's not even considering uh, the collection buying aspects where if you're buying a bunch of cards from the person, it's reasonable to expect a bigger discount because you're saving them a lot of work and headache for a listing and mailing tons of different orders if you're just giving them cash for a big pile of cards. All right. And our last question from at Ricky Walker. Simple question. Low spread card, for example, 16% on DAC and Eternal Masters. Uh, is it better to hold than a large spread card? Example, Tassiger, 65%. Yeah, absolutely. Low spread means that there's demand, especially on the on larger vendors' buy lists, that they are constantly looking for those cards. And once it gets to a low enough spread, there, that usually will indicate that the price, the retail price of the card will start to trend upward because there's just so much demand for the card. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. What do you think about the long-term, though, Chaz? Does, do you use the spread as a long-term indication, or is that more of a short-term, like the next uh, few weeks or month? Or are you looking like at DAC versus Tassiger and thinking, well, I'm fine sitting this in my binder for a year because it has a low spread? Yeah, it- See that you can't get everything from the spread. Obviously, it varies card for card. Like uh, Tazager was reprinted a bunch of times, has a really high spread because there's a lot of them out there. That doesn't mean that's still not a good card to just hold on to because it's a staple in modern or what have you, or legacy. Uh, so spread can't really paint the entire picture, but I do feel better when there's a low spread on a specific card. I can just throw that into a binder and feel better about it because it, there's always kind of demand for it, especially a card like Dak Faden, which is used in a plethora of like EDH decks. So yeah, but do keep in mind that sometimes, for whatever reason, a vendor will need a specific card, and that kind of messes with with that individual spread for a little while. And once they fulfill that they kind of just drop it back down again. So just kind of be aware of that sometimes. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you in general. I think the one thing that 100% a low spread indicates to me is something's up and you should investigate further. A lot of times it does mean that the retail price is going to rise in the not-too-distant future. But as Chaz Chaz said, there are exceptions. So I like to use the spread as a jumping-off point when I see something that's really low or really high uh, to kind of dig behind the numbers and try to figure out what's causing it to be out of the normal range. So, 
Right. Yeah, it's it's definitely great for indicators, but you you definitely have to investigate further as said or as Seth mentioned because it doesn't tell the entire story. And we actually have one more fish mail that was sent to okay. my email, so I will read it off real quick. Uh, but basically, I will summarize because it's kind of long, but wondering about the current state of legacy with all the mm. buyouts and the high price, what do you think about the idea of having some reserve list cards be restricted in the format so you could only play one copy specifically mentions the original dual lands as a way to kind of increase accessibility and lower the barrier of entry into the format. So there was more to it than that. It was a very long message, but I think that was the main gist of that one. And that was from Ben Stonehawker. So thank you for the question, Ben. Yeah. Great question. Those are all points that we've discussed on this podcast many a times, all different, a different, at different points uh, throughout all the episodes. And, you know, we kind of land on at different spots because it's just really hard to say this is the one thing that will help or this is the one thing that will help. Uh, Richard, you, you kind of are more ingrained in legacy than Seth and I, but I know that we've talked about a lot of these points where you kind of feel like legacy will just go to the way of moto. It'll be better off that way to just play it online. You've also have talked with us about the various different things in the paper realm where maybe something like that has to be shaken up where some of these cards on the reserve list are just better off being banned just because they're like almost inaccessible anyway. So we've talked about tons of different things. Yeah, I would just say that Wizards definitely does not like the idea of restricted. It just makes things very complicated. It's There's a restricted category in Vintage because that's the last foothold for that card. Like, if you ban it in Vintage, there's nowhere else you can play the card. So for Legacy, I think they really want to keep banned or not banned because you don't want to pick up a card and say, oh, is this banned restricted or legal? And, you know, what does that mean? It's very hard to, to grasp. So I, I don't think they would go the restricted route, and having things be restricted doesn't change it that much. Like, you, you temporarily basically increase the supply by four, uh, but, you know, as magic grows, you'll end up in this exact same spot where uh, you run out of cards again. So it doesn't solve it long-term, right? So the only long-term solution is either to ban it outright or reprint or get rid of the reserve list. Which I don't think they're going to do any of those. Like like Chaz said, we discussed numerous times. I think it'll go the way of Vintage. We don't sit here and lament that we can't afford a Mox. We kind of just accept that. And if you want to play with Mox, you got to play Magic Online. And it's going to be the same with the Dual Lands eventually and uh, the, the other powerful cards on the reserve list where Digital is the only place you can play it. And if you're really serious about the game, and if you're a collector, you want to fork over the money, then you will go out and buy these cards. Uh, but I, I don't see Wizards going into the legal rat hole and, and trying to uh, <laughs> trying to re- un- undo the reserve list, because it's just going to create a whole bunch of bad PR, and they don't gain anything directly. They're already milking Legacy with Eternal Masters, so... Yeah, so that's all the fish mail. Really well, great, great questions, great answers. Uh, well done, gentlemen. I think uh, I think that's it. Yeah, that wraps it up for the 
the fish mail, is there anything else out the door? Because I think we covered everything we wanted to talk about. Uh, just wanted to mention Wizards released their second quarter earnings conference call today, and things, according to Wizards, are looking pretty good. Shadows over Innistrad was very successful. The game is growing and doing extremely well, so I guess that's a bit of good news uh, straight from the Hasbro CEO. So Awesome. Yeah, so great news on that front. Kind of figured Shadows over Innistrad would kind of kick things up again it's been really great both sets are awesome if you haven't checked out the last couple episodes uh the full eldritch moon set review has finished up so make sure to not yeah you know, shameless shameless plug but you should go watch it anyway it was it was great it was awesome to do eldritch moon is awesome hope you all had a great pre-release and is the commander one going to be up soon seth uh, the Commander one will be going up Thursday night, I believe. Uh, so keep an eye out for that. The Yeah, it was awesome, Chaz. Thanks again for doing the constructed ones. But yeah, I did one with Tomer. It was awesome. And Thursday night, that should be coming out. Sweet. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I think that wraps up this podcast. So gentlemen, we will do this next week. And thanks everyone for listening. <laughs>